0: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. This is Sportbox. Let's get into your headlines this hour. The Fed fires the big bazooka, cutting interest rates 100 basis points to zero, launching a 700 billion QE plan and joining other central banks in coordinated action. As Chair Jerome Powell says, liquidity is the top priority.
1: Today, the Federal Reserve took a number of actions to support American families and business and the economy overall and to promote the flow of credit as we weather disruptions caused by the coronavirus.
0: But the move has a mixed reaction on the markets, apparently failing to reassure some investors. U.S. futures plunge, hitting limit down as the Dow falls more than 1,000 points. Asian stocks also sink with the Nikkei failing to hold on to brief gains.
2: Meanwhile, Europe shuts down with Spain going into full quarantine whilst France and Germany close large parts of their economies and fortify their borders as they step up efforts to contain the spread of the coronavirus. Meanwhile, the UK government also facing growing calls to take more drastic actions as President Trump and his administration expand their travel ban to include Great Britain and Ireland from midnight tonight.
3: Dismal data from China reveals collapsing industrial production and retail sales while fixed asset investment falls for the first time on record.
0: So a very warm welcome to the programme this morning and obviously we've seen significant moves overnight from central banks, a coordinated reaction to the coronavirus. So let's just walk you through these easing measures. The Fed then taking its second emergency move in less than two weeks. Following more days of market turmoil, the US central bank has cut its benchmark rate by a full percentage point, with the Fed funds rate now targeted at between zero and and 0.25 percent, a level not seen since 2015. It also launched an aggressive new round of QE, and it will today begin buying $500 worth of treasuries and $200 billion worth of mortgage-backed securities. The Federal Reserve explaining the extraordinary action, saying the, quote, coronavirus outbreak has harmed communities, and disrupted economic activity in many countries, including the United States. Well, Fed Chair Jerome Powell opted to forego a podium press conference and instead spoke to reporters by video link. He said providing liquidity is the most important step right now, adding rates will stay low throughout the virus outbreak.
1: Today, we reduced the target range for our policy interest rate by one percentage point, bringing it close to zero And said that we expect to maintain the rate at this level until we're confident that the economy has weathered recent events and is on track to achieve our maximum employment and price stability goals.
0: Now, as I say, this was part of a coordinated action. Central banks around the world have joined forces to help provide further dollar liquidity. The ECB, the Bank of England, the Bank of Japan, the Bank of Canada and the Swiss National Bank issued a joint statement outlining the moves that they are all taking to lower borrowing costs.
3: And let me throw into that what the Asian markets have done. Uh, The New Zealand Central Bank won also to slash interest rates. 75 basis points coming off. So you're seeing very much coordinated responses across the world not impacting this session. Let me start with Australia. This market has simply not stopped falling. Take a look at that handle. 5,000 is what we're watching. 9.7% slump. Very much watching those fortunes on Wall Street. It is more contained for the Chinese markets and we have witnessed that in recent sessions where the Shanghai Composite is not falling as much as some of the other major industries. 1.7% lower, Hong Kong shed 860 plus points or 3.6%. And you can see Japanese stocks hugging that 17,000 point mark, the drop 400 plus points, about 2.5%. The moves by the Bank of Japan today, measures to uh, effectively move in to ramp up purchases of ETFs and other risky assets to try and combat the economic fallout. So those measures in place from the Bank of Japan, because no move on that short and long-term interest rate targets given the the lack of ammunition at this point from the Bank of Japan. But uh, the market reaction, you've got to say, if this is a precursor for other global markets this week, it is a very weak start. Let me take you to those opening calls here in Europe. This is what we're watching. Also weak across the board, particularly for the Italian market. But you can see triple-digit point drops expected right across these major indices. What we had in the Friday session, well, we managed to to snap that six-day losing streak. We had a bounce of 1.4%. But after the extent of the losses over the week, it wasn't much. We were down about eight 18% over the benchmark for the week. And, of course, in individual markets, uh, slightly different falls. But this morning, we're looking at 760 points coming off the Italian market. We still see a huge number of coronavirus cases. And where there have been shutdowns in other major markets as well, a lockdown effectively in a lot of these cities in terms of social activities, you're seeing uh, negative numbers for the likes of France. 341 down for the Zetra DAX. uh, Just in context, context the DAX was down 20% over the course of last week, and the FTSE down 134 early on is what we are chasing. Those US futures, the reaction to another extraordinary measure from the Fed, and it does tell you that this market is still incredibly weak. We're chasing a lot of downside on those markets, four digits in fact on the boards there for the Dow. So on the back of what we saw, the uh, selling on Tuesday, oh no, selling on selling Thursday, the buyback on Friday, now selling anticipated again today. Treasuries, lots of reports that there are problems in the Treasury market as well. The ability to, to find uh, a decent price in buying and selling some of these assets. And what you've had, 0.69 level we've unwound from almost 1% on the 10 year Friday session following these extraordinary measures from the Fed, 0.69 at the 10-year, 0.28 is what we've got, the short end of the curve on that two-year level. Jeff.
1: Uh,
0: so we should just point out to our regular Squawk Box audience that um, Steve is not in the studio this morning. Steve is actually down at Heathrow Airport in London and has travelled down there to talk about the, the travel bans. But Steve, while we've got you on a good link to Heathrow, let's just kick this story around for a moment here, because I think there are a couple of interesting aspects to this. And um, I'd be very interested to hear what you and Karen have to say. Clearly, from a funding and a liquidity perspective, what the central banks, Have done here has provided a significant backstop for businesses and supposedly for the markets. But unfortunately, I think what we're going to see over the next 24 hours is just a lot of freaking out as people begin to ask questions about what the Fed may know, what other central banks may know about what's already taking place in the plumbing of the financial system that has given this cause for worry and this cause for the large scale action that we've seen taken at this point the trouble is if you are trying to figure out what any of these assets are worth at the moment it's a hopeless task because as long as we continue to see these unprecedented actions from the central banks I don't think the markets are going to catch a bid what do you reckon Steve
2: Yeah, I I think we have to leave aside the market reaction for one moment, Jeff, and actually look at what's going on, as you quite rightly say and alluded to, what's going on in the plumbing of the market liquidity, and indeed what's going on in the liquidity that's going from financial institutions, whatever your transmission mechanism may well be, into the real economy. So the market reaction, I think, almost is a secondary issue. I'm sorry to say that to many of our viewers who, of course, are taking a vast amount of pain on the financial markets at the moment. But the lessons are from two financial crises and I've been thinking a lot about this over the weekend and of course in the last few hours as we've seen what the Fed has done. The last two financial crises I want to talk about are one the 2008-2009 financial crisis uh, and two the East Asia crisis which you would have been stunningly familiar with Jeff during your time in Hong Kong uh, from 1997 and 1998. On both of those occasions it was liquidity uh, to uh, the various countries, liquidity to individual institutions, liquidity to the the broader financial markets and as you allude to liquidity to small and medium-sized businesses that were absolutely key and where the biggest problems came is where there was not dollar funding there was not dollar liquidity where institutions uh, started bordering up and basically refusing to deal with each other and saying we can't deal with you we are worried about counterparty risk which was the big problem of course uh, with Lehman's in 2009 and I'll just remind viewers of what one of my colleagues, friends in the securities industry said about 2008-2009 with Lehman's is they didn't know how big a counterparty they were with Lehman's because it was such a convoluted uh, and uh, myriad uh, of different routes to different counterparties. So they are trying to ensure that no counterparties go risk and that liquidity remains and we don't start this fear-mongering about which institutions have liquidity which institutions don't have liquidity and the reference I'm making to July onwards 1997 It is about the fact that dollar funding dried up very, very quickly for individual countries, both on the sovereign and the corporate basis as well. And as we saw with the Thai baht and then onwards across a whole host of currencies, there was a liquidity crunch where investors took money out. Now, what I believe the central banks are doing is whilst we have talked a lot last week about small and medium sized enterprises, keeping them liquid, I think this is a dual action purpose here. This is to say no country or no financial institution is going to go bust over this compared with what happened in those two other crises. That is what they are trying to avert. Now, of course, there will be enormous financial strain on all of the people we've spoken about already as well. But I think that's where the concentration is. Markets, I'm afraid, are just going to have to find their own way over the next few sessions, perhaps obviously a lot longer than that. But this is about the planning, as you mentioned. This is about keeping financial institutions safe. It's about keeping liquidity flowing to countries and companies. Because once one goes, we see dominoes effects, whether it's countries or companies that we saw in those two crises. I mentioning. that's just my opinion just thinking about it on my feet here down at Heathrow
3: it's pretty obvious why the Fed brought out those tools over the weekend for to try and fix the plumbing reports during the week that there were problems buying and selling US treasuries at reasonable prices and this is the safest asset class in the world and if you've got a problem with treasuries then you've got a problem across the broader markets so I think almost no argument that the Fed needed to do something now and not wait for its next meeting so you saw that extraordinary response Also from the banks themselves, there was this decision from the Financial Services Forum, as they called for the eight members to suspend share buybacks. So any extra liquidity they're now getting from the central bank to be used to try and support the broader economy. I thought there was quite an extraordinary coordination from these central banks. But the other big point is that if you look at that market action on the equity side just for a moment, you could see Friday's session after what you had, the biggest sell-off since 1987, a market that was desperate to get back in the game. You saw that in the size of the rebound Friday. But is it premature or is it not? At this point, I think if you look at the long-term playbook on coronavirus, we don't know when it's going to end. The vaccine, the latest on that front, it may take 18 months. Uh, there is a feeling here in the UK about some sort of uh, infection rate, trying to get as many people infected as soon as possible to stop the spread the next winter. So are we looking at it, an issue that it's going to peak sometime in coming months and then we're through this or we're back to square one because it just keeps circling around from northern to southern hemisphere based on the different seasons. So I think in terms of putting an asset, putting money to work in an asset at this point, it is incredibly difficult to try and work that out. And that's going to be the challenge if we look for any form of a snapback on stock markets and economies.
0: Yeah, I mean, to to pick up on Steve's point very briefly, I think um, the markets will have to sort themselves out. They'll have to find their own level. When it comes to short-term economic pain, that is going to happen inevitably. But I think in this huge statement of intent we've seen from the central banks, they've effectively shown that they are willing to provide a backstop here. And I think that's very important when it comes to perhaps medium-term confidence and the argument that you're making that we really don't know what kind of time frame we're actually working with here. But as long as the message is, whatever the time frame, the authorities are going to be on their game when it comes to providing support, then I think that's a very important message this morning.
3: Yeah, Uh, Steve, we'll come back out to you a little bit later on. Now, even the largest hedge fund in the world has been caught up in the coronavirus market sell-off. Bridgewater Associates, which manages more than $160 billion in assets, is reportedly down about 20%. Founder Ray Dalio tells Financial Times that the fund, quote, did not know how to navigate the virus and chose not to. The story is on our website. Well, factory production in China has declined at its fastest rate in three decades for the first two months of the year. Retail sales also plunged while fixed asset investment fell for the first time on record. Sherry joins us with more from Hong Kong. Sherry, these numbers are incredible because I think many across the world are looking at the slowdown that we first saw in China but has now swept across other economies for a sense of what may be coming in that official data.
4: That's right Karen and I think this could be one example of what's telling us about what the market was expecting was a bit too optimistic because sure we knew it was going to be bad but it was a terrible miss as well so uh, just comparing comparing it to uh, Reuters poll numbers that we've been going with in terms of previewing these data points the disappointment was pretty big and as you can see we did see a a lot of uh, right across the board in the Asian markets as well as the greater China markets so just to walk you through some of the examples we've got to fix the asset investment now this is a good gauge of what's happening in the Chinese construction sector and that's down 245 percent on year now this is something that we didn't even see during the global financial crisis and also for the first two months of this year industrial output down 13.5%. So with these kinds of numbers, we are now seeing some of the banks are lowering, some of the economists and analysts lowering their forecast for the first quarter of this year standard chartered is for example talking about a negative growth for the first quarter and saying that it could be difficult for china to meet that six percent target in economic growth for this year as well industrial output of course it's this is something that you know this is the first time for us to see industrial output of china seeing the annual decline since 19 uh, january 2020 And on record for retail sales and investment, this is the very first time for these numbers to drop on year as well. In terms of, of course, what the market implication is, you know, we're talking about, you know, sectors like property in mainland China. And what does it really say about the, you know, the the possibility of a V-shaped recovery that we used to talk about? And of course, all this comes after the PBOC, the Central Bank of China. It went for that triple R cut on Friday after market close, and also injecting more liquidity this morning, Guys, sherry thank you very much
0: indeed for that we'll see you a little bit later on in the program still to come this morning no more travel the us extends its travel ban to include the uk and the republic of ireland we'll have more on that story when we come back and if you want to catch up with this morning's program just a reminder if you don't have time to watch us on screen but want more on the big moves in the markets and views on how to navigate them uh, we have a podcast. It's available at all the places where good podcasts can be found. We'll be right back, everybody, with more on the travel story and the unfolding news on coronavirus around Europe.
2: If you enjoy Squawkbox Europe, check out the Brave Ones podcast.
0: Welcome back, everybody. Large parts of Europe shut down this weekend in the battle to contain the coronavirus outbreak as the continent's biggest economies, such as Germany and France, chose to close all non-essential businesses and parts of their borders. Spain has declared a state of emergency and has gone into complete lockdown following Italy's quarantine. The UK has chosen a less drastic path as it entered the delay stage of its efforts to battle the Spanish Of the infection. Meanwhile, US President Donald Trump has expanded his travel ban to Europe, now including the UK and Ireland. Well, we're going to get around uh, our team of reporters on the ground in Europe. Annetta is with us from Frankfurt. Uh, we've got Steve, of course, at uh, Heathrow Airport, and Charlotte is covering developments in both Spain and France. So, let's kick off then with Anetta. The German government will this morning impose border controls with France, Austria, Switzerland, Luxembourg, and Denmark as it tries to stem the spread of the virus. This, as the number of confirmed cases jumped by almost 20 percent on Sunday, nearing 5,000. Um, Anetta, let's come out to you here. What sense there on the ground in Germany as these measures have been introduced?
1: Well actually corporate Germany and general Germany is coming to a standstill right now. Kindergartens are closed, schools are closed as of today. Today is the last day. Uh, Pupils are actually going into school um, to get some exercise work for the next couple of weeks. Actually five weeks that schools will be closed and kindergartens will be closed for sure. We have special schedules with German railway system already and we all know that Lufthansa has scrapped uh, like a majority of their flights. Um, When it comes to corporate Germany Um, almost everybody who is not essentially uh, essential to be on location is doing work from home uh, meaning that also uh, the general economic activity is uh, clearly hampered by the um, the effects or the measures taken currently in Germany so all in all we can fairly argue that but cities are a lot more empty than before also um, the issue is that uh, every federal state does it in little bit different but in general um, the advice is not to go out um, and also not to gather in, in public in larger quantities of people. Bavaria has enacted the state of emergency as well meaning um, that you shouldn't go out at all um, if not necessary and we have others other cities like for example Berlin they have closed down every theater, etc. in uh, in the region. So, you see, Germany is very badly affected. At the same time, we have an, we have um, already with the government um, planning a an unlimited liquidity scheme, an unprecedented economic stimulus package, which was announced as of last week. How that will on, in detail now be channeled through the real economy is not yet known. We also talk about the potential of not paying taxes this year for uh, certain companies who are badly affected by the coronavirus impact. So, you see, I think the political side gets on rolling. Whether it's enough for, uh, to, to really um, contain the spread of the virus remains to be seen. But the measures taken are very serious and people stay at home mostly if they can. With that, back to you. Thank you. Well,
3: Spain has imposed a 15-day nationwide lockdown, banning its 46 million citizens from all non-essential movement. The country imposed the State of Emergency Decree as it confirmed the highest number of COVID-19 cases in Europe after Italy. Like its southern European neighbour, it is only allowing people to go out for the, of their homes for essential reasons, like going to the pharmacy. The wife of Spanish Prime Minister Pedro Sanchez has tested positive for coronavirus. Meanwhile, France has also announced emergency restrictions to stop the spread of the virus. As of today, schools are closed until further notice. Cafes, restaurants, cinemas, nightclubs and most shops are also shut down. Essential businesses such as food shops and chemists are still open. Ninety-one people have died from coronavirus. Well, let's get out to Charlotte for more shift in monitoring the latest out of both Spain and France, which is quite in contrast to the measures here in the UK. Charlotte.
5: Good morning, Karen. Well, yes, we saw these measures announced this weekend by the Prime Minister of closing all non-essential shops, cafes, and restaurants, keeping only pharmacies and food supermarkets and banks open. And that was after the number of cases doubled in about 72 hours in France. So now bringing the level of pandemic alert to level three. And the prime minister was very insistent on Saturday to to, to ask for people the need to show more discipline and to go out only to get food and, and avoid everything else. But of course, yesterday was a lovely sunny day in Paris and in the several cities in France. It was spring and we saw crowds of people in parks, sitting by the riverbank, uh, having picnics. Of course, the cafes were closed, so encouraging more and more people to actually go to parks um, and other public spaces like that. And of course, in addition to this, there was the first round of the municipal election. So here, sending a bit of a confusing message while asking people to do only essential going out, the elections were still going ahead because we saw a historic low turnout there with an abstention of about 55% The the round of election. And there's a real question mark on whether the second round is going to go ahead. Uh, a lot of political leaders now are asking for a postponement of the second round that would be happening next Sunday. Uh, the Prime Minister said there would be a consultation with the different political parties to decide on that. Um, but of course, we saw yesterday a lot of politicians, including the health minister, last night on television, uh, asking people to not go out and really, really try to restrict their movement. Uh, he was saying that the health minister saying the virus doesn't travel; people do, so people need to stay at home. So, on the face and in comparison, to what we've seen in Italy and Spain, there's a lot of reports out there that the executive in France is actually studying to bring in a full lockdown uh, to the country, potentially only to some regions or maybe to the whole country, including including forces in the street to make sure there's an enforcement of uh, the lockdown. Given the the pictures we've seen uh, yesterday of crowds of people uh, enjoying the sunshine in the streets, the government is very much studying um, this possibility. And also, we saw the weekend, the government announcing a reduction of transports between cities. There will be a reduction of planes and trains. Uh, There was also a press conference of the finance minister, Bruno Le Maire, with all the CEOs of French supermarkets, including Carrefour and Leclerc, talking about the supply chain telling everybody that uh, the supply chain is safe as long as everybody keep buying are uh, just what they need, and there's no need for panic buying. Um, as you mentioned, today is the first day where nurseries, schools, universities are closed for an uh, unlimited amount of time. Uh, as, as President Macron says, as so we've seen, there's been a ramping up from Thursday, the closing of the schools this weekend, the uh, raising to level three, and closing all non essential shops. Uh, now France is entering the next phase and waiting to see whether there will be the next step and a potential bigger lockdown uh, in some cities in the country.
0: Um, just to uh, quickly bring up Spain specifically with you, Charlotte, um, obviously this has had a, a major impact on the government. The deputy prime minister has gone into quarantine. The wife of the prime minister has confirmed coronavirus. Um, just talk to us a little bit about the measures that the Spanish are taking.
5: Yes, you right. So we, uh, Spain went into full state of emergency on Saturday and that was after we saw big demonstration, big marches for uh, Women's, uh, World Women's Day, Uh, we saw crowds of people in the street, Uh, and of course there was a lot of question of whether this should have gone ahead, and uh, apparently there was a lot of contention within a fragile coalition already uh, in charge in the country in Spain after we saw these two rounds of elections that were very difficult. Uh, It was a seven-hour cabinet meeting on Saturday before the government and the prime minister came out to announce this state of emergency. There was a a lot of tension on how to go ahead with it. As you mentioned, the wife of the prime minister has been diagnosed with coronavirus. Uh, the wife of the deputy prime minister, as well, as you mentioned, has gone in quarantine, but his wife has put, uh, tested positive as well. So, um, but we saw that in Spain, that the hotbed of the infection is Madrid. 75% of cases are in Madrid, and it's one of the world's fastest rates of growth uh, of the sickness there in Spain. So they've ramped up the measures in Spain very rapidly here from just closing some shops, to closing some reunions of some groups of people to a full lockdown. And now we've seen the police and including some army uh, members in the streets to find people and tell them to go home. Um, the, the military is also producing some hand sanitizing gels in Spain uh, to, to face uh, the crisis. And there's another controversy, and is a political one. The central government has announced it is the only authority uh, to, to put measures in place uh, since Saturday. And that's created, renewed and refreshed some tensions with some, some regional governments in Catalonia, in the Basque Country, for example. Um, because here, normally, these countries have some authorities on health issues, for example. And now Spain uh, on Saturday, the central government saying they are the main authority and saying in times of crisis for coordination, this is a necessary step. So that's created, renewed some few tensions here, uh, so something very much to, to look at uh, in Spain while the state of Europe has been uh, announced after this very long and difficult cabinet meeting on Saturday.
0: Charlotte, thank you very much indeed for the report. UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson is coming under increasing pressure to take more drastic measures to combat the spread of the virus. Mass gatherings have now been banned after the government initially allowed them to continue to go ahead. Meanwhile, the US has extended the transatlantic travel ban to include the UK and Ireland, effective from midnight Eastern time, which is 4am London time, On Tuesday morning, Uh, as uh, you've seen already, Steve is down at Heathrow Airport monitoring the air movements down there um, and has more for us on on what this uh, travel ban is actually going to mean. Steve.
2: Yeah, it's amazing Quickly, how quickly, Jeff, you become a bit of a train spotter or a plane spotter, just looking at the various marks coming in and trying to work out where the planes have come in from. Literally, as you speak, I've seen planes coming in from American Airlines, uh, from Delta and United. And that's quite significant, of course, because those are transatlantic carriers, uh, three of the seven big carriers who are doing the major transatlantic route. We've got another plane coming in now. Actually, my my cameraman is going to try and work out what this one is as well. But we've seen Virgin, we've seen, of course, BA coming in this morning, but a lot of these will be some of the last scheduled flights coming into the United Kingdom uh, from the United States overnight as that travel ban kicks in. As you say, British Airways uh, plane landing as I speak. So what we're looking at is the east and the planes coming in uh, from uh, the, um, the the landing route from the east, from the Thames Estuary. Uh, but we've seen very few planes coming in, uh, going up from the right, which is obviously the takeoff route here today uh, over at Heathrow. But it's going to be just devastating for this industry. We already heard heard many updates from IATA in the last week or so. The last update was talking about 90 billion pounds, $113 billion uh, worth of revenue costs uh, that they think the airline industry uh, will take on board on the chin on this one as well. And Heathrow, one of the most important airports on the planet uh, will suffer disproportionately as well. There is no doubt about that. It is the second biggest international airport in the world, the seventh biggest airport uh, full stop as well. Uh, And some of the most wealthy routes, the most important routes on the planet uh, are coming out of this airport including the key uh, billion dollar route, as they call it, which is JFK uh, to London Heathrow as well. BA alone uh, makes around about $1.2 billion in revenue on that route. And that's not including uh, their routes from Gatwick as well and their flights from Heathrow to Newark as well. So you can see the kind of numbers we're talking about as well. United, Delta and American, the three big U.S. carriers who fly in and out of Heathrow as well, have also, of course, talked about the huge hit uh, to their schedules and the hit to their finances as well. Uh, Virgin Atlantic CEO Shai Weiss has said in the last 48 hours or so that the government needs to come up with a huge support package for this industry. I mean, the numbers being thrown around are enormous, of course. Uh, $7.5 billion was the number spoken about there. We've heard from Alex Cruz, who is the CEO of BA, uh, under Willie Walsh, who of course is the group CEO, which includes Iberia as well. Uh, Mr. Cruz has talked about job losses will happen. This is an ex- existential crisis for BA and indeed other airlines as well. So you can see across the board, uh, we're seeing a lot of protestations from the industry. Bow for another one, the British Airline uh, Pilots Association, were really disappointed there was no cut to uh, air passenger duty in the recent Rishi Sunak budget as well. And they're asking for more support measures. And we've heard similar moves from the likes of Ryanair and EasyJet as well, who are taking back uh, their schedule routes left, right and center i We've got another plane coming in, another BA plane coming in. As I said, I'm just looking at the arrivals. I can see one, two, three, maybe about four planes uh, due to uh, hit the runway in the last, in the next ten minutes or so. But not many takeoffs so far this morning. Of course they only start from around about 6am anyway due to airport restrictions. But it's an industry which is going to be absolutely devastating. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com.